as long as we're handing out thanks, thank you all for battling with me through my, my respiratory ailments today. And I also thank you for uh, letting me geek out a little bit earlier with things like research psychologist and nautical terms. In what is left of our time together, though, I want to share with you some stories because it is my heartfelt opinion, my long-held belief that it is only in sharing stories that we can really connect with each other and that it doesn't matter how much we know, how many terms we can define, how many facts we may have gathered, unless we are able to look each other in the face and share what has happened in our lives, we are never going to make the connections that Jesus wants us to make as his children. Story number one. About a year ago, I was asked to serve on the board of the Georgia Humanities Council. The council is basically the Georgia arm of the National Endowment for the Humanities, and it has as its mission to collaborate with other groups in the state to, quote, preserve and promote the rich cultural stories, treasures, and values of our state and its people. The tagline on the council's website says, Georgia Humanities, sharing stories that move and make us you can understand why I would be excited to be a part of that group. It is, as I said, my firm belief that stories do make and move us. They also enrich and enlighten our understanding, not just of ourselves, but each other's. And in fact, it is in the better understanding of each other's, other, their joys, their burdens, their journeys, their aspirations, that we are best able to know ourselves. So a few months ago, we had our quarterly meeting in Savannah. And one of the items on the agenda that day was a discussion of the recent completion of the Georgia's Footsteps of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Trail, a project of the Georgia Department of Tourism that had just been launched this year in observation of the 50th anniversary of Dr. King's assassination. Our board chair, Ms. Jeannie Sirak, had been deeply involved in that project and she was excited to tell us about some of the stops on the trail, which are scattered all over the state, including the bronze statue of Dr. King that was in, unveiled on the grounds of the state capitol in August 2017. The stop on the trail that caught my particular interest was the First African Baptist Church in Dublin. I had seen the mural outside the church and the designation of the Martin Luther King Jr. Park, but I didn't know the story of his connection to this relatively quiet middle Georgia town that I visit on a regular basis for the baseball games and dance recitals of my great niece and nephew. It was, Jeannie explained, at the First African Baptist Church that a 15-year-old Martin King gave his first public speech as the winner of the Colored Elks Club of Georgia oratory contest. The speech was called The Negro and the Constitution. After delivering that speech on the trip back to Atlanta, he was, for the first time, asked to relinquish his seat to a white passenger and step to the back of the bus. I was sitting that morning next to Ira Jackson, 
Another new board member, Ira is a native Atlantan. He is the owner and president of Perfect Image, a commercial printing and marketing services firm in Marietta. He is tall and lean and handsome, and he has a James Earl Jones type voice. I would have guessed that he had played basketball when he was younger, but I'd have guessed wrong. He was, I learned later, a champion track athlete at Rhodes College in Tennessee. When Ira listens, he really listens. He leans forward with his chin on his hand like this, as though he needs to hold his head and his eyes very steady so not to miss a thing. When the board chair completed her presentation about the MLK trail, several folks made comments of congratulations or reflection, and then Ira sat back in his chair, stretched out his long legs, and began to speak. When I was growing up in Atlanta, he said, and I walked downtown, across the square of the state capitol, I walked under the shadow of the statues of other men. He paused. I could not imagine that the day would come when Dr. King would be among them. Hope, he said in his soft, deep voice, is hard. Hope is hard. But as Ira Jackson and so many others, including Dr. King, have proven, hope is also impossible to resist. Story number two. My mother is 83 years old. She was born in Tattnall County, one of eight children, the fourth of five girls. She got a high school education at a time when that was still an accomplishment. It would never have occurred to someone of her station to consider going to college, but she had an adventurous streak. And after graduating from high school, she became a career girl in Savannah, working for AT&T as a switchboard operator. She lived at the YWCA with other career girls, and she had a few adventures before she decided that maybe life in a small town wasn't quite as bad as she thought it was, and returned home where she met my father at church. When she was 19 and he was 18, they got married. Over the years, she spent most of her time rearing children, her own and those of other people, while helping to provide for the family by, as we used to say, taking in sewing. The things my mother could do with thread and fabric and a simplicity pattern were amazing. And I learned most of what I know of beauty sitting on the floor at her feet, playing with endless spools of thread and cards of rickrack. My mother made evening dresses that danced their way through gubernatorial balls in Atlanta and senior proms at Statesboro High. She made baptismal gowns and choir dresses and draperies. She made all of my clothes and her own, finishing them with almost invisible handwork. When I had spend the night parties, it was always with the understanding that my mother would stay up with us. 
she laughed at our stories and told her own. Every friend I or my brother ever had felt completely at home in our home. She was always up for a road trip and would respond to the invitation immediately with, and we'll pack a picnic lunch. <laughs> when my brother was in high school and I was just starting college, my mother decided to open her own business. And for 25 years, she operated Kids World Daycare Center, the first of its kind in Bullock County. Hardly a day goes by that I don't run into a mother or a child now all grown up with children of her own or his own who says to me, I remember Kids World. I remember Miss Francis. I loved that place. Or your mother made it possible for me to leave my children and go to work knowing that they were being loved and cared for. I tell you all that because, you see, my mother can't. For the last few years, she has slowly become more and more lost in the world of Alzheimer's. There are some days when she does not recognize me, when she has to be reassured that I am, in fact, her Kathy. She asks me sometimes how long she has known me and how she got to be my mother. They are hard questions. Those of you who have had reason to deal with this disease don't need me to tell you how horrible it is. And to those of you who have not, I couldn't anyway. It is an ongoing, progressively more difficult loss that cannot be described. Nevertheless, you should know that I have learned something incredibly beautiful from my mother in this darkness. And it has quite a bit to do with what we've been discussing today. Even in the moments when her sentences do not make any sense at all, when they are nothing more than a series of words strung together in some vague semblance of subject and verb agreement, my mother has never lost the ability to pray. I am amazed when in her agitation and confusion, she leans over, holds her forehead in her hand, and begins to speak to Jesus. In those moments, her words and their meanings are crystal clear. Everything makes sense. They come together in a natural order. They are the right words. The grammar is correct. The inflection, the intonation, the intimacy with which she speaks is what I remember from all the years of her mothering me. Though she has lost contact with so much, she's not forgotten how to pray. There are three times in Scripture that Jesus asks what is required of those who follow him, how they are to love him. In Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven, 37, Mark 12 and 30, and Luke 10, 27, Jesus responds to the questions basically the same way. Love me with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength. Strength, it fails. My mother is unsteady now. I hold her elbow as we walk outside to pick grapes from the vines that she doesn't know she and daddy planted and tended and pruned for many years. Her arms are thin. There is no muscle tone. Her back is bent in a curve that matches the chair she rarely leaves. Strength fails. The mind, it fails. 
This year is a pretty yard, she says, as I lead her to a chair under the sycamore tree. You made it that way, I tell her. I did? Yes, ma'am, you did. She holds the colander of grapes in her lap and begins to count. There's one, two, three. She gets all the way to 50 and then 61, 62, 63. The mind fails. And the heart fails. I think I need to go inside, she says, and I can see the fear approaching. The sudden change in mood to which I have become accustomed. Can you help me? She asks in such a plaintive tone that I know it's not just a polite request for assistance. She really doesn't know if I can help her. Of course I can, Mama. We walk slowly around to the front of the house, up the steps, across the living room to her chair. It is still early in the day, but before long, the fear will transform into visible anxiety and then into anger. Anger that no one will take her home to Tattnall County. Anger that no one will call her daddy, dead over 30 years, to come get her. The heart, the emotions, fail. But what of the soul? When strength and mind and heart all fail, what is left? The soul. My mother's soul is ever alive. My mother's soul and the soul of everyone who has trusted Jesus is anchored in hope. Hope is hard, but as my mother has proven, it never dies. Story number three. Earlier this week, we observed the 17th anniversary of the 9-11 attacks. One of the commemorative reports that I heard was a remembrance of a young fireman, 24 years old, who was last seen running toward the falling towers. A couple of days later, we started seeing all of the news about the arrival of Florence, and as millions of people were told to evacuate, the National Guardsmen and others, the other helpers, as Mr. Rogers would call them, went running toward the storm. Hope is hard, but like our heroes, hope is not afraid. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, safe and secure. The only anchor worth having is the hope of Jesus Christ, the hope of the promise that God is always there. If you don't have that anchor, your ship, your life will surely drift off course, capsize, be thrown against the rocks of failure. And if you do have that anchor, then in the words of yet another old hymn, it will hold and grip the solid rock. 
please join me in this prayer. Father God, creator of all that is lovely and good, upholder of all that is true, defender of all who are weak, our hope in you is the only anchor that will ever serve us well. It is the only anchor upon which we can depend without wavering. As we leave this place today, bless us so that we may sail forth to explore this world and serve its people. In Jesus' name, amen.